Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, we are uh, in a new series, and the series is called Prayer. Very simple. And um, I think you're going to notice throughout this series that the series on prayer is really not specifically about praying. Because praying is actually a very simple thing. But the posture of prayer is where everybody gets confused. I, I love, uh, if, if you've been listening to the, the, the radical, awesome, hip-hop, super hip scene of Christian music today, you've heard of Maverick City Music, right? And I, 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 wish, I wish I was one of those guys, because the way they can growl when they sing is like second to none. Um, but I, I do love the one song, Talking to Jesus, because that's really what praying is, right? It's just, it's just talking to Jesus, talking to our Heavenly Father. And yes, there is a form to it, and there, there is a formality even to it that's appropriateness due to the holiness of God. But at the same time, since he no longer calls us servants but has called us his friends, we, we can actually understand, get our head around. We approach the throne of grace boldly with confidence when we're in need. And we, we need to... We need to we need to enlarge the place of our understanding when it comes to praying. And that's why this series on prayer is, is you're going to find not about the antidote or the secret words to say to activate God. How many of you know that there is no secret prayer that activates God? There's no, there's no magical incantation. There's, there's not. There is a relationship that God has initiated with each one of us. And that is the basis on which he responds to us. Now, we have a part to play, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I hope that you can open your ears to what the Spirit is saying to the church. So often, when people pray, in my experience, and I think yours if you're willing to be honest, when we pray, we are expecting God to be the God who kicks down the door. Who comes in, and we think about him like the lion of the tribe of Judah. So, you know, he just comes busting into the scene, and he roars, and all of your issues, the enemy, scarcity, sickness, the lack of provision, all of these things at the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah run away like scared little wimps. That's what we envision when we when we start to pray, when we, when we start to take authority, when we come strutting into a room and, oh, I'm going to pray over this thing. I'm going to attack this in prayer. We do. We have this lion of the tribe of Judah image that we expect God, or maybe, maybe to, to remove it from the biblical sense, probably more to something you and I actually think about. We, we think of Jesus kind of as a kind of sovereign Chuck Norris, right? That Jesus has this Chuck Norris type infinite degreed black belt in spiritual authority. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, no matter what happens, Jesus Norris will overcome. Because he's Jesus Norris. It's like, Chuck Norris doesn't get no COVID. COVID gets Chuck Norris. Right? That, that's kind of our thinking when it comes to how we pray sometimes. That Jesus is just going to come in and karate chop in a certain move, a little jiu-jitsu, a little ninjutsu, a little of this, a little of that. A little krav maga, because that's the Jewish martial art. Well, the Israeli martial art. 
You know, we, this, is, this is how we think about it. And others still believe that God is like some other superhero. Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Wonder Woman. It's due to wokeness. But I think you get the point. From, from our perspective, when we are looking for God to activate something, our tendency is to relate God to force. That God who is strong and mighty, he upholds us, the Bible says, by his strong right hand. That he is a shield about us, the glory, the lifter of our head. I mean, he is a mighty warrior dressed for battle. So everything we think of when it comes to how we pray turns into this idea that God is going to smash the doors, that God is going to uproot and turn cities upside down, that God is going to come in and he is going to utterly destroy and vanquish our enemies. And then we get frustrated when he doesn't do it. When he doesn't rip the cancer out of grandma's body. When he doesn't come through because we said the right things and save our parents' marriage. When we just can't conceive that child, we begin to think, oh, there's something wrong with my faith, there's something wrong with the way I, the way I pray, or, or maybe worst of all, we think there's something wrong with the God I believe in. And I want to tell you this morning, there certainly are aspects that are based in truth where God is absolutely a mighty warrior dressed for battle, where he absolutely will uproot entire cities, where he will, he will, he will vanquish nations for the sake of his people. But can I remind you, as we see historically through Scripture and even in the earth outside of the biblical timeline, in, in the modern timeline, what do we always see God do? We see God wait till the very last possible moment before he starts turning things upside down. God's first reaction is not our reaction, which is to fight. We place value, therefore, on the wrong things. Too much value placed on the wrong part of who God is. God absolutely does, and he can't use force anytime he wants to, but he really is more about filling than forcing. And that's the title of the message today. Filling, not forcing. Zechariah 4.6. Yeah, when's the last time pastor in the church quoted from Zechariah? It, it happens, but it's a little more rare. Here's what it says. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might. Someone say, not by might. Not by power. Come on, say, not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Yet when we pray, we only pray as if God will do everything by his might and by his power. You can probably already see where I'm going with this, but we would do well to remember this verse, Zechariah 4.6. Because it brings into context... A lot of what we see God doing throughout all the generations. And remember, if we're being honest, most of us want God to absolutely do it by means of his might and power. I mean, if I have cancer, I don't really want God to come and heal me in a mediocre fashion. 
I would like to be there with cancer if it ever happened to me and see Jesus physically walk into the room, reach a spiritual hand somewhere into my body, and rip cancer out by the roots. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that posture. I want God to do mighty and amazing things. And I believe that so do most people who place their faith in him. However, How God reveals himself in Scripture has often not been that way. Think for a moment. If God really does own it all, if God really does have control over it all, if God really is working all things together for our good, specifically those who love God and are called according to his purpose, If he is all of these things, if he is who he says he is, if the book is right and at the end of the Bible we actually win no matter what is coming in these days, why do we still expect God to kick doors down this instant? Because the whole Scripture, the whole of Scripture, the whole, the whole canon of his word over and over again depicts a God who is patient, who is slow to anger, abounding in kindness and love. All through history, it seems to me the last thing God does is kung fu, vanquish, uproot, and destroy. In other words, in the history of my life, in the history of this world, as far as I can see it, what God is doing is always showing great restraint. Always showing great restraint. And we need to begin to remember this when we posture ourselves to pray to that God. Because do you understand this morning that if we are praying for God to do something that's against his nature, it's not going to go well for us. It's, it's just not going to be a struggle that you're going to win in. If our prayers are only ever asking God to cast off his restraint and blow the whole world up, where are we going to find ourselves? Well, pretty frustrated. Your prayer life is going to feel frustrated. Your Christian life is going to feel frustrated as long as you continue to pray your kingdom instead of his kingdom. And I know that at first glance, you and I might say, well, I'm not praying my kingdom. I'm not, I'm not praying my will instead of his will. But I'm going to show you why maybe we're not thinking about that quite right. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. How does the church overcome? In the end, how does the church overcome? Pastor's wife gets it right every time. And I think Margot got it right, too. Right. What does it say in the book of Revelation 12, 11? And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. There are three things by which the enemy is overcome. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they did not love life even when faced with death. In other words, we... We loved what God is doing. We love his kingdom 
we love his will more than we love our own life. These are three simple things, and I will note with great sarcasm three incredibly powerful things. What is more powerful than the blood of a lamb? Well, everything, frankly. Everything is more powerful than the blood of a lamb. What is more powerful than a human testimony? Well, everything. Frankly, whoever can yell louder in this day and age. And what about loving your life, to the, or, or not loving your life, I mean, even to the point of death? What's so mighty about that? Well, nothing. In fact, these things are exact opposites of everything that we would claim to have ultimate power in this world. Now, let's acknowledge the truth. There is tremendous power in the blood of Jesus. Without a doubt, it is the most powerful blood that was ever shed. What it has done for us in that it both satisfies and conquers the law simultaneously. That is powerful blood. And what about the word of testimony? The word of testimony, I mean, good grief. When a human being has to go to court, they have to swear an oath just so that they won't tell a lie. Just think about how silly that is for a moment. If you're going to tell lies, you're going to lie about the oath as well. Yet we still make people swear an oath of some sort to prove that we're telling the truth. It's like we all have that one friend who says this. If it's you this morning, don't feel like I'm picking on you. Feel like Jesus is picking on you. <laughs> but don't, have you ever noticed when people say, look, I'm not going to lie, but... I just tell you, that is one of my greatest pet peeves. And every time you say it in my presence, I literally bite my tongue. Ugh. Do you want us to assume that you're lying all the other times? Of course not. And I know that you're not lying. I know that it's a figure of speech. But let me just say, it's really a bad habit. So don't, don't say, Pastor Trav, I'm not going to lie. But uh, I was already assuming that you weren't going to lie. But now I'm questioning it. Okay? All right, so just a little, little tweak. Love notes from Pastor Trav. You can put it in that little book. Just, just, just don't say it. Human testimony in and of itself is nothing. But what is a testimony that has been altered and empowered by the authority of Jesus? Well, that's overwhelmingly powerful, isn't it? The blood of the Lamb is powerful. The word of testimony in Jesus is extremely powerful. And what about this whole deal about not loving our life so much that we're willing to die? It seems like weakness. But the Bible says you can have no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. So it would seem that while in earthly senses, in, in, in temporal senses, according to the understanding of mankind, that these things are weak, what we see in the kingdom of God is these things are actually tremendous strengths. And not only in the kingdom of God, but in the kingdom of darkness. These are powerful and real strengths. Can I just point out to you, in the blood of Jesus we have redemption. In the power of testimony, don't ever forget that it's the power of testimony, Hebrews 1.3, life and death are in the tongue, it says, but then Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus sustains all things by the power of his word. He, what do you mean? He's not, he's not waving his arms around the whole time? No, believe it or not, God is not waving his arms around the whole time to sustain everything. 
It's just the power of his word. See, we need to learn how to pray boldly and confidently while staying surrendered and humble in his sight. We need to learn how to pray boldly. We need to learn how to pray out of our identity in Christ, who he says we are, who the Father says we are, who the Holy Spirit says we are. That is the persona in which you and I should pray, which is a persona of tremendous spiritual authority. But to think somehow that that spiritual authority translates directly into carnal authority would be to misplace truth in the worst way. The truth of the matter is, there are some of you in this room that I could almost tear your arms completely off your body because I have the physical power to do it. But when it comes to Wes and Carlisle and Big Stephen here, I'm not so sure that their arms would be the ones that we're leaving. But when we turn this around and leave the temporal world and move into the spiritual world, it doesn't matter how big or small we are in Christ, we are all equipped, we are all endowed, we are all filled with his power for his purpose in this world. And we need to understand this line that needs to be drawn because what I see many people doing is trying to pray prayers to impact the carnal world with a physical mindset rather than realizing we pray in the physical world with a spiritual mindset to impact things that are spiritual so that those things which are carnal can be changed. Now I want you to wrestle that out in the context of all Scripture. From the beginning of the book to the end. How, how does this play out? We have the authority to bind and loose in heaven and earth. But not if, you, not if you have those in the incorrect orders. And certainly not if you're praying outside of God's sovereign will. So we are called, we need to learn how to pray boldly, confidently, while staying surrendered and humble. And how, how is this done? I want to give you a clue. Here's how it's done. 2 Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, 12, 9, and 10 actually, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. For, it is, for that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I, I imagine you don't ever really think about this as a prayer verse. I think if you Googled it, it would not make the top 50 list for prayers. Yet, why shouldn't it? See, if this verse is about my relationship with him, discipleship, and prayer is also about my relationship for him, then how can we separate the two things? Can I just boil it down for you to something very simple, maybe even easy to remember? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 is basically saying, in the most simplistic way, when I am emptied of my strength, he is my strength. When I am emptied of my strength, 
He becomes my strength. Just apply this to prayer. Can you understand that prayer activity in your life should be more about making space for God to fill you with his strength than anything else? Can you just imagine a world in which all that prayer was, was, was intended to ever accomplish was to empty you out so that the living God could occupy that space? I have a teenage daughter, those of you that know, know. And my one teenage daughter especially has a lot of words. Oh, she has words upon words upon words. And when you thought you were to the end of the book, it turns out there was still another chapter of words, followed by a song of words, followed by another commentary on biblical matters of words. And now we're to the next day, and there's still words. That's how much Annika has to share, which is great. Sweetheart, I love you. I don't want you to change. I don't think you need to change. But I appreciate about Annika, and I learned something about my relationship with God, about how she has the need to empty herself of words. And I think every one of us would do well to hear what the Spirit might say to you today for this. Prayer, giving your words to God, worship, the sacrifice of praise, which is, the Bible says, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Is that not the emptying of ourselves which creates an empty space. Can I just change the words a little? Creates a vessel that is empty, that needs to be filled with something. Some of y'all don't pray. And if you do pray, it's like good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. That's your prayer life. And you sit there, see, you sit there saying, I don't feel like God is in my life. He's not. Because you haven't made room for him. Well, I pray with my kids before bedtime. Okay, good. When was the last time you emptied your heart before the Lord? I mean emptied your heart. Can you imagine... What the world, what your life, what your relationship with God looks like is that if every single time you came to him, you poured out your heart before him in prayer. You emptied yourself completely in words, in worship, in affirmation, in your desire, so that you were left completely empty. And then God, who is not the forcer, but the filler of souls simply breathes back into you. To take the analogy one step further for you this morning, it would be kind of like living your life never exhaling, never letting the air that's in your lungs go because we all know that air is valuable. We need it to live. And if my lungs don't have air in them, I'm going to die. But can I just point out to you this morning that if you never exhale, you're going to die anyways. If you don't breathe out the air that your lungs have in them right now, you will never take another breath. You will never be filled with what you need to go on to the next step, the next thing, the next call, the next plan, the next purpose God has for your life.
because we seem to forget that we are vessels. We were designed by God to hold something. And the things that we seem to choose to hold on to are not the things that are aligned with his kingdom, but the things that are aligned with our own kingdom. Some of us, God said, I, I want to come in. But your heart is so full of diesel trucks. Ouch, that hurt a Ford guy somewhere. <laughs> I want God to come in. But the truth is your lungs are full of pornography. Well, I want God to come in, Pastor. But you won't let go of the brokenness and the bitterness that's holding you in bondage. And we scratch our heads wondering why we feel like the heavens are closed to our prayers. Guys, it's because we somehow think that God is going to force rather than fill. Prayer in our lives, like worship in our lives, is about making room, making space for God to fill us with his strength, with his purpose, with his passion, with his love, with his peace, and we could go on and on. God can't help but fill every space. It's who he is. If I ascend to the heights of heaven, he's there. If I go to the depths of hell, he's there. If I go to the deepest part of the ocean, he's there. Guys, God cannot help himself. It's who he is. He fills all space and all time and all things with his presence. So the question is, not about whether or not you're good at praying, but whether or not you're willing to empty yourself so that you can pray. See, this is the principal part of the Lord's Prayer in which we quote, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is about the worship of God and about the coming of his kingdom long before it will ever be about the daily bread that you and I need to survive. Because when God comes to the camp, when God walked with the Israelites through the wilderness, did he not provide food for them? He literally gave them daily bread. And he gave them daily quail. And he gave them water to drink. He provided for their need through the entire time they were in the wilderness. And remember, we said it last Sunday, I'm going to say it again. Why did God lead them to the wilderness? When Moses talked to Pharaoh, he said, God wants you to let his people go to the wilderness so that they can worship him. I'm guilty of this too. I've, I've many times complained about these, the stinking Israelites. It could have been a four-day journey, but they made it a 40-year journey. Maybe that was true. But then I also understand now as I get a little older and wiser, man, that was a 40-year worship experience full of some pretty amazing signs and wonders and time with God.
It's not enough to say, I want to pray in alignment with God's will. I mean, that is what we want to do. I don't think there's a person in this room who would say, well, I found out that God has a will. I don't really want to pray within it. Of course we want to pray within God's will. But do we? Is it, is it what we actually do? So let me just say, I think it's something that we do, but for most of us, the next step is going to be to do it with a whole lot more surrender. Surrender is not a very popular word for us, especially right now. But the idea that you and I need to surrender has not lessened in value in the kingdom of God. No matter what days we're in in the earth, no matter what you agree or disagree with in politics and society and however it goes, can I just remind you this morning that my and your surrender to Jesus is not less important than it ever has been. It's simply as important as it ever has been. And our surrender to Christ is desperately needed in this world today so that he can occupy that space with his presence so that we can begin to pray prayers that are effective. So we can begin to pray his will. Sometimes you just need to empty your words and get them out of the way honestly so that the Holy Spirit can show you what to pray. Since the Bible says you don't know what to pray anyhow, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if it's his kingdom that's important, if it's his will that's of value, then in a manner of speaking, my kingdom, my will, don't have a place. I want that to sober your thinking. Most of us truly pray this way. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done. No. We actually pray my kingdom come. My will be done. On earth. And it's not intentional. You, 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 could, you could punch me in the face a hundred times trying to convince me that we intentionally pray our kingdom instead of his kingdom. But I find it hard to argue the evidence. And I think we need to come back to the idea of true surrender. I think we need to come to this idea, maybe you never have before, that you need to be emptied. You need to be completely poured out. So that the will of God, that the kingdom of God can fill your life and teach you how to pray. So that when you pray with passion, it's not just your passion, but it's his passion. The only place that my kingdom and my will have in this world is those rare spots where it actually aligns with his. And I have to believe that as we mature in Christ,
as we become every day a little bit more like Jesus, that my kingdom and my will actually become more and more aligned with his. Until I reach one day that beautiful place where there is no division, where I'm called to rule and reign with Christ. Let me just share through. I just want to invite the worship team to come back. Amy hates it when I say this. I'm about done. Just a few more minutes. And then it's like 15, 20 minutes. It's my way of teasing people. I just want to give you three ways that you can do right now to empty yourself, to make more space for God so that you can pray differently. Again, Prayer is not incantation. It's not about saying the right words in the right order. It's actually about emptying yourself enough that the kingdom of heaven comes to your heart, that the kingdom of heaven begins to occupy your space. Three ways to make space for God. Way number one, giving. Giving. When you give your time, your money, your energy, you are giving from your So when you give your time, your money, your energy, you're giving from your mind, your soul, and your strength. The parts of you. Giving creates space that God wants to occupy quite literally. Because any time we give something away, there is now more room, is there not? Any time we give something away, we are creating a space, now here's the important part, that God loves to fill. God's not mediocre about this. He's not lukewarm in his response to this. When you give, God not only occupies the space, but wherever his presence comes, multiplication begins to follow. And so when we give financially or we give of our time, we serve, we give of our energy, we stay up late to pray with someone or to talk with someone, God, understand this. God multiplies to us the thing that we need. Why? Because we've simply created space for him to be who he is. He can't help multiplying. He can't help filling the empty space in your life that you make available to him. Waiting on the Lord renews strength. It multiplies strength. Tithing multiplies provision in your life. And setting aside time with him multiplies your rest. All because you emptied yourself and created space for God to move and multiply. Giving is the first one. Praying is the second way. You can empty yourself by praying. Even when you don't know how to pray or you don't think you know how to pray or you don't understand what it means to be a great prayer. None of that matters if you can just come to the simple understanding that praying is an act of worship. It's an act of pouring yourself out in the presence of God. And once again, wherever you have created space, God automatically wants to move in. And God multiplies your prayers when he comes in can't help it. It's who he is. It's what he does. 
And some of you have found this to be true when you pour out your heart in the presence of God in the secret place where you shut the door to talk to your heavenly Father. You start out with one or two things to pray and suddenly there is a supernatural multiplication that begins to take place and thanksgiving which started out as one or two things to be thankful for turns into 10,000 things that you could never say thank you enough for. Who's found this to be true? It's because God occupies empty space and he multiplies good things in it. So empty yourself in prayer. Pour out your heart in prayer and you will become a multiplied prayer. The last one is fasting. Fasting should be the most obvious way of emptying yourself. Should it not? When we, when we literally starve our physical, our carnal man, we actually are, are in, a, in a symbolic but also literal way, we are weakening the flesh, which is what the Bible says constantly wars against the spirit. Right? You remember this? The flesh is constantly warring against the spirit. And so when we starve the flesh... We leave an empty space in the flesh. As I've said to you many times before this morning, what is God's response? To give you roast beef and mashed potatoes with Yorkshire pudding. Well, no. Although that would be really good right now, wouldn't it? God occupies the space that you made empty. And where he brings his presence, multiplication follows. You cannot shake this truth. We see it in the life of Daniel. We see it in the life of Abraham. We see it in the life of Jesus and the apostles. We see it in the life of nearly every main Bible character we could read about. You might have to look for it, but the principle will always be sound. God will always be the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you create an empty space in your life and say, Lord, I need you to fill it, every time he will come and he will fill it to the full. And when tomorrow comes, what do you do again? You pour out your heart in the presence of God. You empty yourself of all the words. You empty yourself of the problems, of the insecurities, of the need, of the request. With boldness, knowing who you are in Christ. And what is God's response to a heart that has poured itself out in prayer, in worship? His response is to come in with his presence and fill it, and multiplication will follow. I would never get tired of preaching this message because this message is what the gospel was made to proclaim. Life, freedom, liberty to those held in captivity. But we choose to leave our hearts in bondage to carnal things of the world. Pour it out. Empty yourself this morning. You see, it's not that anything we do could ever twist God's arm into doing what we want. And I got to tell you, every single one of us has prayed prayers like we're some kind of champion arm wrestler and we're taking God on. Well, Lord, you said in your word... And God just... 
But Lord, I'm your son, so I'm claiming. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying the scripture. There's nothing wrong with praying authoritatively. There's nothing wrong with making some assumption, in small part at least, that because we are sons and daughters of God, that his authority rests on us, that his words are in us. But what are you full of when you're praying? Can you imagine if the, actually, I fear that the principle of multiplication is true in both events. That whatever your heart is full of is being multiplied. Now someone in this place or watching online needs to hear this this morning. What if the principle of multiplication is true regardless for your heart? That either God will be multiplied in your heart or whatever you have fixated upon will multiply in your heart. Guys, we got to empty ourselves. We can't twist God's arm into doing what we want, but what we can do is create a space for Him to fill. And in doing so, we create an opportunity for Him to, somebody say the word, multiply. his provision, his will, his power. When you read through scripture, in all accounts, it seems that God has his own timeline for doing everything. So he cannot be forced. And you can strain and you can push against that reality your whole life. Or you can empty yourself. And you can invite him to fill that space. Passionate life in Christ is right in front of you again today. A passion-filled life in Jesus is right here, right now, right in front of you. It's not camouflaged. It's not hidden in any way. It's just right here. The question I have for you then is, what are you going to say no to so that you can say yes to Jesus? What are you going to empty of your life today in this moment so that he can fill it up again. The Holy Spirit, in this moment, God, I pray that you would reach through the fog that would try to come against people's hearts and minds, that you would bring clarity, Lord. Jesus, that in this moment you would speak so clearly to each one of us about your kingdom, about the things you want to do, about your will for our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us, show us. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.